Hello, everybody. You want to take it down? Are you going to let it play underneath us? Yeah, just for a second. Yeah, it's less, less, yeah, less, yeah, less yeah, play. Just for a second. Uh, welcome to this special uh, Three Guys On release. Bonus episode. A little bit of a bonus. Uh, uh, the other day, I, if you read my Facebook page, pages, you know that I retweeted, reposted, uh, re-put up a letter that was written by Miss Trisha Alexandro about the time that she was raped uh, 20-some-odd years ago. Trisha is um, sister of Ted and Richie Alexandro, who have both been on the podcast and who are great friends of Andy and myself and the podcast. So that's that we've got the trifecta. Yeah, we got the three. Three of the five Alexandro children have oh, now been two on more? this podcast. There's two more. <laughs> there's, All right. There's her older, her older brother, Dave, and her younger sister, Amy. All right. <laughs> so there's three of the five. And then we got to get the parents yeah. at some point because yeah. the parents are forces of nature also. Um. I reached out to her and asked her if she'd be willing to come on and discuss her experiences uh, and everything that she's went through and everything that has gone on in her life since then. And she agreed. Uh, Especially in the wake of the Stanford thing. That was what brought yeah. it back. Yeah. Um, so when we reached out to her and Andy and I sat down with her. I did most of the talking. You did Andy, all the talking. Andy did the board. I was riveted to the conversation. I didn't want to interrupt yes. it. It is a great conversation. And uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, do this. If you enjoy it, uh, tweet at her or Facebook at her, Trisha, T-R-I-C-I-A, Alexandro, and uh, let her know what she thought of it. Let her, let her know what you thought of it. Um, and if uh, if you'd really like it, share it around. Share it around. Let people hear it. I, I thought it was a – it has nothing to do with me. It's all her. It's, right. It's all her. And this is not uh, our typical uh, – comedic episode it's, a, right. it's more of a serious conversation uh it's part of the randolph terrence interview series <laughs> it's, it's, it's gonna be happening at some point <laughs> randolph terrence and uh, randolph terrence on <laughs> <laughs> right right so uh share it around let people and again it has nothing to do with me it's all her it's all her <laughs> it's all her and i think it's an important you story. shared her post on facebook right, right. i've shared yeah. two of her posts that she wrote about it because yeah. i checked it i think like she has like 60 or 70 shares on that right. post but she's posted about it before right uh but anyone who's uh who read that post or just wants to know more about you know a survivor's uh point of view on the whole situation uh, should definitely listen to this podcast because I right. thought it was I thought it was extremely interesting to, to hear her take on it. Yeah, right. And uh, her story, and it was great. So we're gonna stop talking, and you guys go and listen to it now. And, uh, tomorrow we'll have we'll have a regular our regular Thursday episode. Regular us just um, bullshit us and Tim. <laughs> Back to us and Tim. Yep. We had to break up the Tim episodes to make them last longer. Right. But, uh, we'll, <laughs> so tune in tomorrow for that. Um, but for now, here we go. You're a lifelonger, though. Lifelong New Yorker. Born and raised. Yeah, it's in my blood. I just, I feel like this is my land. <laughs> out, out and back. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. Out and back. And now you're in Manhattan? Yes, now I'm in Manhattan, which is a different animal. What brought that about? Uh, Why did you want to move to Manhattan and not stay out in uh, Astoria? I was actually on the affordable uh, housing waiting list, the 80-20 housing waiting list for eight years. And I got an email in January that my name came up. And I was on four waiting lists for four different buildings. Yeah. And um, this is the one that came up. And it was actually not the neighborhood that, you know, it was kind of my least favorite neighborhood of all the waiting lists I was on. But 
So you were on the 80-20 list? Explain that to people. Yeah, 80-20, uh, I guess, the, from my understanding, it's um, something that either Bloomberg or one of the mayors put in place because, um, you know, people were getting priced out of Manhattan apartments. And so they gave a tax break to developers when they were building new buildings. If they set aside 20% of the apartments for lower income people, they would get some sort of tax break. Uh So 80% of the people living in my building are, you know, wealthy and able to afford market prices. And 20% of the people are lower income um, who are paying uh, maybe a quarter of the price of the apartment. That's good. So you got to yeah. So I'm guessing that I'm guessing that these people look down upon you as to as Well, to, you know, I haven't had I haven't had an experience with anybody in the building where I've heard, you know, their input about that. Um my friend also lives in this building and he's in in the affordable housing program also. And he was saying that somebody said something to him on the elevator assuming that he was one of the 80%. One of the 80? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did they judge you know, that on his he, clothes? He was suited up that day or something? Or <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he looks, he's a handsome guy. He's an actor. Um, and they, I guess, just assumed, like, oh, okay, this guy has money or whatever. And mm-hmm. so they were like, can you believe that there are people <laughs> in this building that are paying, like, this, what? Um, and it's... Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't. Did he let? Did he let it drop? Did he let it drop, or did he hit him with that? You talking to one of them? You know. He just he was like, oh yeah, I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> he just went along with it. <laughs> I know it's a damn shame. Yeah. Just, yeah. Can, I, can I come to your apartment and get some gray poupon? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> and a PBR. You got PBRs, right? Right. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Mm. Do you like living in the building and living amongst the 80? Oh, I mean, it feels like I'm in the movie Pretty Woman every time I come home. <laughs> I have, it's beautiful. I have a doorman and a concierge. I have an elevator. I've always lived in like fourth floor walk up. Walk up, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, just coming home uh, to an apartment in Manhattan and the fact that I can walk places now that I used to always have to take a train to. Um, it's made my life so much more convenient and, and just pretty, you know, there's like, there's money, <laughs> there's money in Manhattan, you know, so the, they're like, there's a park right next door and it's so beautifully kept and they plant new flowers every few weeks. And it's just these things that, you know, you take for granted when you, when you've lived in neighborhoods that don't have that kind of money coming in. I think I'm going to make you a shirt and send you a shirt that says, I'm one of the 20. <laughs> <laughs> I would wear it with pride. <laughs> you, can just, you can wear it to the park. You can wear it past the doorman. <laughs> yeah. Definitely wear I mean, it on it the did, elevator. It did for me. You know, I, I wrote a Facebook post about it. It brought up a lot of things for me when I first moved in of just feeling like I was skulking around and almost like apologizing for my existence a little bit. And I had to kind of take a look at that and be like, I, you know, I choose to be in a profession acting that is not, it's not often well paid. It yes. feels like a lottery of some sort, like, you know, that the people that do land a TV show or a movie or whatever are really one in a million. Um, and there are many, many other people that are doing this day to day who are 
talented and who have something to say and something to contribute and there's just not the work available and right. and it doesn't make us any less of a human being and it doesn't make us any less of a contribution to society and you know and I would argue that we're actually contributing a lot and so uh so yeah I, th- I think it was a good thing for me to have to look at actually I think that's I think that's I think that's great so you've been a working actress for how long now Um I mean 20 years is how long I've been acting and how long I've been uh, sort of pursuing it as a career. But I would say just within the last few years is when I felt like I've really kind of owned it as like, yes, this is why I'm here. This is what I want to do. And I'm going to create opportunities for myself if they're not provided for me by someone else. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. I just was I just was talking on an earlier podcast about finally calling myself an artist. Yeah. I would never think to do that. And yeah. uh somebody else happened to my therapist I actually happened to refer to me as that. Yeah. And uh you have to just kind of speak yeah. it out loud. Once you speak it out loud, it feels funny coming out of your mouth because it seems pretentious. Yeah. It seems very pretentious. Like, oh, I'm <laughs> right. And then you're like, well, no, what I actually do is I'm I, you you just kind of I think if you're honest with yourself, you learn how to make the turn. Like, you know, you know, okay, I've made a turn into this now. Yes. You know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, yeah. a, I'm not an apprentice anymore, you know, exactly. <laughs> you know I'm not exactly. Richard Pryor I, by any stretch of the imagination, you know? Yeah. But you don't need to be, you're Randolph Terrence. Exactly. You know? like we, we're all here for our own, own thing. Yeah. Uh, and specific it, purpose and contribution. And, and there's never, you're never going to be duplicated. And to me, that's like, that's a miracle, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. to me, like it's about growing more and more into who you are as you're as you get older, and and just feeling like I'm really stretching into my own skin and feeling comfortable sharing who I am as a person and what I have to share, and um, yeah, that's beautiful to me. Yeah, you uh, you wrote two really great articles about experience that you had in the past, and people who have followed me on on Facebook have seen that I've reposted. Um, things that you've written about um mm-hmm. i guess that those moments do you want to explain to people what you wrote about before we go into the into the meat of sure. it sure sure so um, and before and before we start uh, this this can go this yeah. can this conversation can go anywhere you want it to go so if it's going in a direction you don't want to go then we don't go in that direction if you want to go if you want to expand on something you feel free to expand and go as far as you want with any question i ask you Thank you. That's just Appreciate the, that. That's just the uh, the all purpose disclaimer up front. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no animals were harmed in this case. No, let's hope um, not. <laughs> <laughs> I did kick the kids out though. That was fun. <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm uh, assuming the posts that you're referring to are the ones in which I uh, experienced my or I shared my experience of having been raped when I was uh, 23 years old. Um, I was, I'm a native New Yorker. I moved to LA right after I graduated college and um, I started taking acting class at an acting school in North Hollywood. Did you go to college strictly for acting? No, I was an English major actually. Um, I had started, you know, I started acting in like community theater. So there's, the church that we went to growing up had a theater company and my siblings and I did the shows every year. So Mm -hmm. it was from the time that I was 11 that I started acting in sort of musical theater. And then when I went to high school, I continued acting. 
in the shows and then same thing in college. Um, but I didn't think that it was a viable career. I thought, you know, well, you have to do something else and then you do acting sort of on the side as your hobby. And so since both of my parents were teachers, I just kind of assumed I might be a teacher. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was an English major. I did creative writing, um, and uh, and you know, so I was doing writing and acting in college. But then when I graduated from college, I had a friend that I had been in the show with, and he said, you know, I'm driving cross country to L.A. I want you to come with me. We're going to take L.A. by storm. Okay, excellent. Because <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just didn't want to uh, return to Queens after graduating from college. It just felt like a step backwards to me. And the idea of like taking LA by storm was like, yes, okay, that's it. That's what it okay. what ha- needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so we decided to, you know, stay in New York City for the summer to, to uh, earn money and then move in September. And then two weeks before we were supposed to leave, um, that friend called me and he said, I fell in love Ugh. with the elevator op operator of the Empire State Building. Oh, well, <laughs> so I'm not, you're, you're going <laughs> to fall like, in love with anybody. You want to fall in love with that person, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So he didn't wind up going. Um, so I just bought a plane ticket. Because, and, and I think really it was more out of like pride than anything because I had told everyone I knew that I was moving to L.A. So I didn't want to um, sort of back out on that. Um, so I bought this plane ticket and I almost felt like it was divine intervention because my cousin called. And said, you know, my husband just got a job in L.A. and we're moving there next week. Why don't you live with us until you get settled? And so I, it was huge. Yeah. yeah. Because I didn't know, you know, I didn't drive. I was a New Yorker. Yeah. Yeah. I had, you know, like $400 to my name and I was going out there with no sort of plan or even idea of like the layout of L.A. or where to go, what to do. So moving it with my cousin and her husband was really grounding and helpful. Um, I found this acting school and um, I eventually moved down to North Hollywood and moved in with one of the women that was in my acting class. Um, and when I was in class, I met uh, a guy in, who was, you know, very charismatic and outgoing. And it was, I had already been in the school for a year at that point in LA and he had just joined. And um, Okay, so he was new he, to the school. He was newer to the school and... Uh, he, you know, we would hang out in groups after, yeah. uh, after class. And I just, you know, there was an attraction between us. There was a magnetism. And um, we went out on a date with one another the, mm-hmm. first, the first time we were alone together. And he raped me um, on that date. We were at his apartment. We were watching a movie. And, uh, and he raped me the in the first, apartment. And on the first date? On the first date, this yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those things that like it Did he over did he overpower it, you? Yes. Was it like a yeah. um, I'm trying to was it like a like a beat on choke type situation or just like a hold you down was, type um, situation? Cuz you're you're little. Down, yeah. You're not you're not a <laughs> Yeah. And this guy was, you know, he was over 6 feet tall yeah. and also, my my defenses were down to start with. Right, right, right. That right. I knew from class. Um, yeah, right. And you know, and I think date rape is a very common thing. I think uh, yeah. probably most rape. I think the statistics are that most rapes happen that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a reason for that. You know, it's yeah. like you're you're not walking down a dark alley with your like keys in your hand, ready to hurt somebody. You're 
just like on a date thinking that yeah i know this person in a certain context and um and i think they're trustworthy and and so that's what fucks with you too afterwards right. is that that and then you just think like oh i have such shitty judgment like how did i yeah. not see this coming right how right. did i think this person was trustworthy can I ever trust my judgment again? Right. Can I ever trust another man again? Right. Can I go on a date again? It's just, it's such a huge, overwhelming thing. And and just um, and just to just to set the stage, and I'm not trying to imply anything at all. You guys were both like sober and eyes wide open going in together, right? Just sitting oh, on the couch. Yeah, just sitting on the couch. Yeah. Stone sober. We're sitting on the couch yeah. watching a, a Halle Berry movie. And, yeah, oh, uh, Jesus. I mean, we, we did start <laughs> kissing, but it was, you know, he pinned me down and he pulled but this is a, hands. But this he, is a first date. Yeah, you yeah. you kiss on first, first dates on the couch. Time. That's I've been, I've been in that situation. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing, too, for me is that um, I was a virgin until I was 23. The right. only other person that I had slept with before this guy raped me uh-huh. was a guy that I had dated in LA a few months prior to this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my, I grew up in a religious family. My parents are Catholic. Um, my mom was a religion teacher and her message to me was always like, wait, wait until you're married to have sex. Um, and that, you know, that message is outdated now and she acknowledges that, but, for her generation, that wasn't. No, that was what they, yeah, they lived by that. Exactly. You know? My mom got married when she was 20. Right. You know, and my my dad was 23, and he was her first sexual experience. Right, yeah. So I thought my life was going to follow in those footsteps, like, right, I'm going to get married young, and I will save myself, and whatever. And also, I was just a little, like, intimidated by guys in general in a dating situation. So it took me a long time to finally have sex, and I, I did that for the first time in LA, um, uh-huh. consensually with another guy. And then, you know, this was months later. And so it's not even on my mind that I might sleep with this guy right. on a first date. Um, because that sex was still something that I was just becoming comfortable with. Um, so yeah. So to have that happen too, when I'm just at the start of sort of my sexual expression right. and wrapping, wrapping my head around, like what does it mean to be, Oh, sexually active woman, and um, what does it mean to like inhabit my feminine body? Mm-hmm. Which you know, I think is those are all tough questions under the best of circumstances. But when you've then been so overpowered and and uh, taken advantage of, uh, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's a t- to it's get a back tough on track. it's a tough question for men too because you know you have to kind of come into your own of control of your of your body, control of your mind, control of your libido. As as a yeah. man, control of everything, yeah. you know. So I can't even imagine added the added pressure of a woman of, and you have what's basically predators all around you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? as, I mean, so think, as you're learning about yeah. yourself, you have to be learning about yeah. having the defenses up to keep these predators away too. Yeah. 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 It's uh, yeah, sexuality and attraction and all that stuff is still for me that's really an interesting topic really heavy and fraught and like confusing you know mm-hmm. and i think the messages that we're given in society as both men and women are are confusing and um and not healthy very often you know no it's question. like you're you know you're supposed to be sexy as a woman you're supposed to be attractive but then you're also supposed to be chaste and um yeah it's just it's a really hard line mm-hmm. to travel and then yeah. Um, 
So this yeah. this happens so, at his apartment. Ooh. Yeah, and the thing is, I don't drive, right? So my oh, roommate he, had dropped me don't off. Don't tell me he had to then, then drive you the home. <laughs> no, my roommate did. Like, I had huh. to use his phone and say, can you pick me up? <laughs> Jesus. And I was, like, underwater. Like, I was in shock. When it was all done, um, did he then just sit back on the couch and, like, all right, well, we're finished. You know, and he like I, I pushed him off of me eventually. Like mm-hmm. he was on top of me, but I was on my stomach and he was on my back. Okay. Um, and I eventually was able to get him off of me, and I just and I just said that that was rape, like that was rape, and I was and in, I was in fetal position. To that, what did he say? It, he was. Uh, he's. It was really interesting. He almost became like a little boy. Uh-huh. And this is the weirdest part. Like, I, I haven't even, like, recounted this um, to anyone but a therapist. But, like, he got me an orange, which is the weirdest thing. He, like, went into the kitchen and he got me an orange. And he mm-hmm. was like, I'm sorry. And he, like, yeah. hands me this orange. And he was acting, you know, all remorseful at the time. Yeah. Later, he would completely deny. He would say that we had consensual sex, that we did have sex, but it was consensual and... um but it was like in the time at the time he like he looked like yes like I he was like he was acknowledging oh, what happened his, was yeah. fucked up. As he gave you an orange, what the, vitamin, moment, the, the vitamin C is going to cure you? Is that is that how it goes? Eat this orange. Vitamin well, C is good for you. I, <laughs> yeah, it was so weird. It was really weird, but it was also like completely disingenuous. Like there was no yeah. part of me that was like, oh yeah, he really feels remorse right now. It was just like this is really weird, and I can't wait to get away from this person. Okay. Um, I just thought he might be like a sociopath or something. You know, it's just, I felt really like he was playing a part right then. Like, oh, I'm going to play remorse right now. Um, I mean, it sounds like it. <laughs> it yeah. It, so- it sounds like it. This is what's expected. So right. I'll do, was he a good yeah. actor also? You know, I don't recall. I don't recall his acting in class. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if he yeah. was good at inhabiting characters. Like, this you is, know, what, what's what interesting with the cops, the cop told me that there is like a a profile, like a personality type that is really gregarious and outgoing and charismatic and are rapists. And yeah. they're like, this is something we come across a lot. And he's like, they actually, I think especially in LA, target acting classes because you're in a place where people are being vulnerable, where you're, um, you know, often rehearsing scenes alone together, the two of you in somebody's apartment. And you can choose a scene that has some sort of physical intimacy in there already. Yes. So you have a person's guard down already. Um, so they're like, we see, you know, this was not an uncommon phone call for the cops to get. They, yes. they were saying, yeah, there's a, like a personality type that, um, and people don't see it coming. So they were, you know, trying to reassure me that I wasn't, uh, did you go right to the police? Know, totally nice. Did you go right to the no, police? No, you know, I, I, I even lied to my roommate. My roommate came to pick me up and I was just shell shocked and she could see from my face and my body, like something went down and she said, are, are you okay? Did he, did he do something to you? Like, did he, uh, was he inappropriate with you? And I said, and your no, roommate, no. your roommate knew him, right? My roommate knew him. She was in class. Also right. the three of us were in class together and she was considerably older than I was at the time. I was 23. She was 37. Um, and she like, you know, she drove, we kind of drove home in silence, but I think, you know, some part of her knew that something wasn't not right. She and knew. I journaled, 
Yeah, I journaled when I got home, and I was said, I, I'll never tell anyone. Like, I just, I had so much shame around it, and I hated the idea of being a statistic, and I just didn't want to be like, oh, now I'm one, the one in five or whatever that gets raped. I fucking just why, hated why that do you, idea. Why do you think you felt uh, shame attached to something that was beyond your control to... Uh... Well, because, you know, it's all those things that you hear when rape victims are questions like well why were you in his apartment then and why were you uh-huh. kissing him and you know maybe you wanted it on some level and yeah. you know all this other kind of stuff and it's it's your word against his and so it brings up all of that and and, um, and also just being 23 you know when I meet 23 year olds now I'm like they are babies you know, <laughs> believe, you know? believe it I find myself calling people kid and child all the time now <laughs> yes. yeah you just you don't have the life experience under your belt yet you know yeah. <laughs> um i i just thought that i should know better and um and there was so much shame around that uh yeah, why would, yeah, a, why would a 23 year old girl with her in her second her, in her second basic experience know better uh, why would anybody know better yeah <laughs> why would anybody yeah, I know mean, better if some, Right. If somebody were telling me this story, right, and if it wasn't me, I would be like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I completely, you know, I yeah. would have such compassion, but it's really hard when it's you to yeah. like, have but that kind a, of compassion. But if a 23-year-old tells another 23-year-old, yeah, what what do they yeah. know? Which is kind of what happened to you after you, so you go to the police. How long do you think yeah, it took so you before ne- you went to the cops? It was the next day, actually. Oh, I great. woke up okay. and, and yeah, I was crawling out of my skin, and um, I I just went for a walk, and I happened upon this church, and there was not a service going on at the time; it was empty. So I just walked in, and I sat down uh, in one of the pews, and I just started to sob, and I said a prayer, and I said, "I don't know what to do. Like you, sorry, just like you need to tell me what to do." And what mm-hmm. came to me was you know, tell your acting teacher so that he can't do this to somebody else. That's great. Um, so I went home and my acting teacher was this Vietnam vet who was like a really intense guy, you know, really passionate and, and could be at times a bully and all these things, but just, you know, very, uh, had just strong ideas about everything. I called him and I said, you know, this, this guy raped me, um, last night. And he said, have you told the police? And I said, no, I haven't. He said, I want you to hang up. I want you to dial 911, and I want you to tell the police. And he said, you tell them if they need me to trap him in acting class, I will. Or he, like, went right into, like, Vietnam vet guy. Fantastic. He was like, if I need to, you know, and it, and it was just what I needed. Like, I needed instruction, and I needed somebody on my side. I think you needed, you needed like, a pillar of strength at that time, right then and there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And he said, you know, do you want me to come to your apartment to be with you until the cops get there? And I was like, no, I'm okay. You know, my roommate was in the shower at the time and I still hadn't told her. So I hang up with JD, uh, with my teacher and I call the cops and the cops come right over. And I was thinking like, I'll in the meantime have a conversation with my roommate and I will, you know, kind of let her know what's going on. But the cops even got there before I had a chance to do that. So all of a sudden there are two cops in the living room and she comes out, she's like, what's going on? And I said, I was raped last night. And, um, and the cops were lovely. They were so lovely, but they let me know, you know, uh, it could take like six weeks before we pick this guy up and there's a backlog. And why, why was that? Why, why does it take six weeks? Why, why from you telling them 
why do they not then say, okay, get in the car, uh, we're going to get him? Why does that not happen? I don't, I don't know. The, I, what I gleaned from it was that that they're just, like, over overworked. Like, you know, there's just, like, too, too much processing going on or something. I don't yeah. know if that would still be the, the case. But I said to them, you know, this guy knows where I live. He's in my acting class. Like, he knows my schedule. I, I feel very vulnerable with him out on the streets. Like, if he, if he were to find out right now that I just uh, reported this, I feel really vulnerable. I don't know if he would come after me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so... I, you know, I don't remember what they said to that. It was kind of like their hands were tied, you know. Um, and so then I uh, called my parents, and that was, you know, one of the toughest phone calls I've so ever this, made. You literally called them after the cop. Did you wait a couple of days, or you just say, "I got, I got to do this now"? I did it the same day. Yeah, um, while, while I'm in the talking mood, something, yeah. something like that. Yes. Yeah. And. Uh, and they, you know, I don't remember the conversation, to tell you the truth. I remember that my mom was like, you know, if if you want to come home, like, come home, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not coming home under these circumstances. I will not let this be the reason why I move home from L.A. Like, I came here for a reason, and I'm not going to let this guy take that away from me. And so I hung up with them and my, my brother Ted called actually after that. Mm-hmm. And, um, he and I have always had, you know, very special bonds. And, uh, he said, you know, mom, mom told me what happened. And he said, just come home. He said, you're not, this is not a failure on your part. Mm-hmm. This is us, you know, just wanting to support you and uphold you at a time. That's a really hard time. Um, so he was like, just, just come home. And uh, I felt such a relief, actually, when I finally decided to just go back to New York. Um, but uh, how long did it take you know, all, to make that decision? I, I think that I moved back like five or six days after the rape. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it was that fast. Yeah. My sister was going to Boston University at the time, and she flew to L.A. and helped me pack up and. Uh, and then we, uh, she flew back to Boston and I flew back to New York and it was, it was that fast. But, uh, I mean, the aftermath was just crazy in that you know, this guy went to the head of the school. He denied it. Um, he said that it was consensual. The head of the school believed him. The- my acting teacher, my acting teacher who had been the guy that was like, you know, if we need to trap him, we'll trap him in the class, let him back in the class and then started referring to me as crazy in the class to the other students, um, as if I had had mm. some sort of breakdown. Um, yeah. and, and I'm hearing all of this, you know, secondhand from like 3000 miles away, feeling like I, I can't defend myself. And, um, and they're, you know, from having been in this class for a year, I had formed some really tight bonds with people in the class and with the teacher and, I thought, like, they would believe me over somebody who had just gotten into the class. And, like, you know me. You know my character. You know, you know, I'm not making this up, you know. Um, people people don't like, like to people don't like to believe that there's darkness in somebody that they're standing right next to or someone that not. or someone that they've that they've that they've done things with or have experiences with. They just don't want to believe it. <laughs> yeah. And I think also, you know, once the acting the head of the acting school said he didn't do it like we're letting him back in class 
then, you know, my friends who are in the acting class, that puts them in the position of having to take some sort of stand and, like, mm-hmm. leave the acting school. And, you know, when you're in L.A. and that's why you're there and you're away from home and you're isolated, your acting school becomes sort of everything. It's your community, your family, everything. So I understand now on a level that I couldn't understand then, like, why people would just choose to brush it under the rug. I don't make it, that don't it. make it right. You understanding. Absolutely it, not. It right. These motherfuckers, these motherfuckers, they could have, they, like you said, they knew you, they could have made a decision and, yeah. uh, absolutely. And I mean, cited I, on I, what I, I call, what I would call the right side and the wrong side, you know, and they made the, yeah. they made their choice. And now, you know, they got to live with it, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. And you know, when I posted the first time on Facebook, I am Facebook friends with one of the women who was in my class at the mm-hmm. time. She was 19, 19 years old at the time. And um, she private messaged me and she said, oh, my God, I just read your post. And she said, I'm so filled with shame for the reaction that I had to you at the time. Yeah. Um, she, she wasn't she dealing was, with me because I would have said, good. I, I hope you are. Because <laughs> I'm petty like that. No. <laughs> well, you know. I, I try to live with compassion because I'm not an unflawed person. You know, yes, I have yes. I have made behaved ways in my life that I'm not proud of. Um, and I also feel like, you know, when someone is asking for forgiveness, if we can grant that to someone on some level, that's one of the hugest gifts you can give to someone. That's true. Um, and she was, you know, she was reaching out to me in a, in a vulnerable state and, I I was grateful for that. She you know? was a, like, she was she nineteen. Was, she was a baby baby. She was, she was a baby. She moved there from Baltimore, yeah. and you know, and that's and that's a lot of what L.A. contains. It's a, a hodgepodge of people who've come from all over the country and all over the world who are, you know, trying to make a go at this sort of nebulous career mm-hmm. um, that has a really low success rate. <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of shit going on down, you know, um, but. uh how yeah, long yeah. how long after you moved back to New York do you think it took before you started dealing with it either positively I mean, I would, or negatively I mean I guess you deal I with it negatively it. from the moment forward but yeah. how long did you start um, hand, you know, trying to get a handle on it I tried almost right away with the help I mean I come from an incredibly strong family and really supportive family um, my mom got me into group therapy in Jamaica, Queens, like right away with other rape victims. And that was incredibly, uh, helpful. It's, it's, um, I mean, it's really hard to explain what it feels like to walk around after your body's been violated that way. And, and there are no outward scars, right? If Mm -hmm. you've been in a car accident and your neck is in a brace, people can show empathy and be like, oh my God, that looks like it hurts. And what can I do to help? But when you've been violated in this way and you're carrying around shame and no outward, you know, cuts or bruises, like you're not getting the compassion and you're also isolating by choice because you just, there's so much emotion going on, you know, there's, and there's so much vulnerability. Everything feels painful. Any sort of attention feels really risky and scary. I did not want any man to look at me. Yeah. And you I, live in New York city. <laughs> yeah. Know, they look, yeah. You know, I'm, and I'm taking a bus, you know, to group therapy. So I'm always out amongst people. I'm not driving around in a car where I can sort of, you know, separate myself. I'm in a, 
bus. And so I just wore really baggy clothes and I didn't look anybody in the eye. And I feel like it took me maybe two years to start looking men in the eye again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took me probably four years to start feeling like I was back in my body to some extent and exercise. And I became a personal trainer and that really, uh, really helped with that yeah, whole you situation. Helped, you helped me believe it with the personal training a couple of times now when I, when I reached you, when oh. I first started. Oh, that makes me feel good. Yeah, I reached out to you a couple of times about setting up classes and stuff like that. How many years of acting do you think you lost because of this? Well, that's a hard one for me because, yeah, years. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Because how many do you think you, 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 between from that moment to whatever moments, how many years of, because of, you know, a career like, like, like the ones we've all chosen you know, yeah. time out is time out, you know, and it can be anything. If Even if you're still acting and you're not able to, you don't feel comfortable in your skin, how are you going to be able to inhabit other characters? How are you going to be able to, Absolutely. You know, how are you going to have, be able to stand in front of men looking at you in an audience? You don't know. If, what if one guy, you feel like you look in the audience and you see somebody looking at you the wrong way? You know, did you have yeah. the, did you have those moments? I, I yeah, I, I mean, for me, it's hard to calculate how many years I lost as far as my, like, career as an actor um but i also think that we have a choice of how we look at our lives right i don't remember mm-hmm. who it was it said like you know it's 10 percent experience and 90 percent how we think about that experience mm-hmm. so for me like i can go down the road of like i could have been a contender you know yeah. i could have been this like amazing like whatever <laughs> actress in my 20s um and that's possible but uh what I have gotten from this experience, and I think that's, you know, what a lot of, like, survivors of all sorts of tra- tragedies will say is, like, if you do the work, you know, if you go into the eye of your pain, and if, and if it does feel like you're going to die, like, the pain when you really confront it head on is, like, mm-hmm. some of the worst pain that you can feel. But when you come out on the other side, the grace that you experience is getting to know yourself better having an experience of uh, of compassion from other people that rocks you down to your socks. I mean, to, the love that I received in the aftermath was just so healing, and I still receive it. You know, anytime I put a post on Facebook, the response that I get is, I can't describe it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that, to me, is, is what I take from this experience. Not, not, oh my gosh, I lost, you know, five years and could be like... I could have been Julia Roberts. What what I take away from this is um, I'm a much richer human being because I've had to take a look at some really hard things. And I've had to figure out who I am and what I stand for, what I believe in, what's important to me, enough to talk about out loud, even if it might be embarrassing. Yeah. Um, and and also also uh, knowing knowing what's what's actually embarrassing and what's not really embarrassing. I think people don't understand that sometimes. Sometimes things aren't really embarrassing; they seem embarrassing. But when you look at it, you're like that's not. Well, I have nothing to be embarrassed about. Well, yeah, well, and the interesting thing too is like once you say things out loud, it takes a lot of the the power out of it. You know, carrying around the secret of I've been raped is so much heavier and harder than saying it out loud. Um, once I've I said it out loud the first time uh, on Facebook and got all of these incredible, you know, private messages and public messages and 
uh, texts and phone calls, um, it was it was this great awakening for me mm-hmm. of like, oh, I don't have to carry this alone. It's really heavy carrying it alone. It's much lighter when it's carried by thousands of hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah I I agree with I definitely uh, agree with that. I'm thinking back now. I, I had a I had a girlfriend who had been raped by an uncle. Yeah, and uh, okay. she was completely damaged. That was years ago. Yes. She was completely damaged. She, yeah. But she never she never did the work of it. No one ever – she didn't have the support system around her like you had of the, yeah. the family who was willing to buy into it and be on your side, you know? Yeah. If you were my sister, I, I would have wanted to fly out. I'm sure your brothers wanted to let's go out there and let's go handle this handle this business. I know they wanted to. Yeah. Whatever happened yeah. to um to the guy in the end, you know? Do you I know? don't know. Like, I have not – no. I'm – um. I haven't sought out any sort of. I don't remember his last name. Yeah, and I haven't. You don't need. Um, you don't need to. Honestly, no. I uh, yeah. I would just prefer to pretend that he doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, it's right not, now. you know, like like if you had. If you had said, uh, you know, and said, oh, and it's, you know, the the motherfucker that plays Captain America, I'd have been like, God damn, you got to see him every goddamn day? You know what I mean? Something like that. Like he's not in yeah. your face all the time, you know? Yeah. I mean, the only uh, sort of remorse or feelings I have around it are just like, I hope that he did not do that to other women and the possibility is strong that. He has, well, know? chances are he did. You don't, you don't. I, I, my, I say it often because my father was a, my father ran pardons and paroles for South Texas, and he, his, the parolees he worked for was sex crimes. That's what he handled. Mm. He was, yeah, mm. he was quick to tell us all the time that you know you don't just get a taste for that on on a one off. It doesn't happen. Yes. It doesn't happen like that. It's an, yeah. es- it's an escalating scale, but he's like from yeah. that first time on out. But again, I would I would say that's not you know that's not your your fault. <laughs> you know, I'm. Did you have that moment where you where you would blame yourself? Like if I had said something or or pushed it harder, maybe he did something to a woman that you know it's my fault that he that he. Did you have those moments like I could have I should have tried harder? I could have saved somebody else. Does that oh, make, as far as does that, that make sense? The yeah, in the aftermath, does that make sense? Like, I don't want to yeah, do this. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, you know, because you're yeah, an, I, you're an empathic person, so you would have empathy for others. Like, you know, yeah, I have to see to yeah, it that this doesn't happen to anybody yeah. else. <laughs> you know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That that really sickened me to think that some other unassuming woman would would find themselves in the same situation with him. Yeah, yeah some other little baby. Yep. <laughs> you know. But ultimately, yep. that's not ultimately that's that's not your responsibility. That's on him, you know. <laughs> yeah, I just I was not in a place where I was able or willing to go through any sort of trial situation or any of that. Like I I was barely holding it together. You know, I yeah. was in a deep deep depression for a number of years after how long, that. How long did um, that hold on you? Did you have to take anything for it to try to come out of it or? You or know, did you just I work your way out through I, exercise, exercise, and and going to acting I, class and stuff like that. I did a lot of like a lot of one-on-one therapy, group therapy. By this point in my life, I've done like family therapy, hypnotherapy, um, somatic <laughs> experiencing, which is like you know finding out where your traumas are located in your body yeah. and trying to release them. Like all this, I I've gone at it head on. Um, I don't think that medication would have been a bad idea for me at that yeah. time. Um, I just, I didn't try it. 
um, for whatever reason. But, uh, but yeah, I was, you know, I was barely functioning there for at least two years. I, mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think I worked for like a year. Um, I was living in my parents, back in my parents' house in Queens and, um, you know, I just moved into the attic and I stayed up there a lot, you know. And, and they just gave you the space? Yeah. They just gave you the space and didn't lean on you like, yeah. you need to come out of that attic, girl. Come down here with us. I mean, after a while, they did. After a while, my mom had a number of talks with me and she said, you know, you're an actor and you're not acting at all. You're not in acting class. You're not in whatever. Like, what, do you, what can we do to help you? And I was just like, oh, no, you know. And then a friend of mine from college reached out and he said, you know, I'm, I'm doing this play and um, we, there's, you know, part of it is there's a rock band behind a scrim and we need a lead singer and would you be the lead singer? And so I said, okay, I'll, you know, I'll do that. So it was a really weird sort of avant-garde play in some mm-hmm. black box theater in the East Village and I sang with this band and my dad and mom came to see the show and my dad was like, I had no idea what was going on in the show, you know, and he was like, it was really bad. But he said, um, these two actresses, these two actresses in particular really stood out to me. And both of those actresses had in their bio, the Barrow Group was their acting school. So my mom said, "Why, why don't you try the Barrow Group? Um, and so I started going to that acting school and I, and again, I feel like that was absolute like divine intervention because, um, I met my acting teacher, Seth Barish, um, who is still my acting teacher to this day. And he was just like the most gentle, trustworthy guy. And also, um, the like most genius of a teacher that I've ever met in my life, (laughs) you know? So it just, it wound up being an incredibly healing experience for me, like as an actor and, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it, and it, uh, you've been with, you've been with them for many years now, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's such a beautiful community. Like when people come into the Barrow group to see a show or to take class, they're just like, Oh my God, there's no ego. There's no competition. It's really, it's a beautiful community and it's been my artistic Mm -hmm. home for years. Um, and when I started writing, I started writing monologues and bringing them in. Um, you know, my acting teacher was just like, you need a stage, like you need to make this into a show and you need to put up a whole evening of monologues. And it's just always felt like, you know, when you get, when there are people that see you, like really get you yes, and really, you know, that's, that yes. feeling is, 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 yeah, it's yes. incredible. So that's, that's who the barrel group is good for me and specifically Seth. Have you been um, able to release, um, do do moments bring this back up? Like the whole reason we were here is because of what happened in Stanford with the, with the yeah. young lady and the note she wrote and um, the piece of shit who just got off the piece of shit judge, you know, his yeah. pe- his piece of yeah. shit family, you know, all of them, just yeah. all of, everybody, in, everybody in his world unit is just a piece of shit. You know, have you uh, do do moments that you hear about or maybe moments that you see, do they still bring feelings back up inside of you or have you been able to just completely, oh, yeah. it still, still comes back at 20 some yeah. years later. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's still, uh, it's you still know, reading, a thing reading. that it's still a thing that stays over you, but it's nothing, nothing, nothing now that slows you, but it's still a thing that's there with you. Does that make me? Yeah. yeah and I, I think that that's right. true for any trauma, you know, yeah. like I think if you've been molested as a child or whatever, like you can, actively work on that for the rest of your life, work on healing, work on being a whole person, 
work on not allowing that to completely define and derail your life. But it's always a part of your fabric. And this, you know, experience is always going to be a part of my fabric. And, uh, and I get to choose in what way I want to use that, you know? Um, and so reading that letter from that Stanford rape victim, um, I was just, I was filled with so much rage and a feeling again of like helplessness and of like what has to happen for people to get what this feels like and get how devastating this is for the victim. Mm-hmm. What has, what can we say, right? Like how long does this letter have to be? Or like how many fucking signs do I have to carry or marches do I have to go on before you get that your one little mistake, your little 20 minutes of action fucking decimated me, you know, for yeah. years. And I've got to rebuild myself and it, and it had ripples, you know, because none of us lives in a vacuum. So it, killed my father and my mother. It killed my brothers. It killed my sister to see me in that kind of pain. You know, like there's just so many ripples of repercussions. So like we need to really, really look at this and really identify it and really, and and work on whatever the cancer is in our thinking that, you know, that boys think it's okay to do this, to just slip it in or to just, when a girl's unconscious, climb on top of her. And, you know, since I started sharing my story, I can't tell you how many women have told me that they have woken up with somebody on top of them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, holy shit, you might as well be having sex with a dead body. Like, how can you, in your mind, feel okay about that? That is not okay, you yeah. know? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the answers are. And I, I read this you know, great quote by Nina Simone, who, um, and I'm going to butcher it, but she was, you know, she's like, it's not for me to, uh, to solve racism. It's just for me to say in my music, it's there. It exists. I'm pointing a finger at it, you know? Right. Right. And that's how I feel about this. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to solve this problem, but I'm going to say it's not going away. Like, I'm not going to be quiet about it. And let's take a look at it. Let's have a conversation about it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. There's one other thing I wanted to. Do you have a question for Annika? You leaned into the mic. There was another thing that was, um, you wrote a very powerful thing about your mother when you were talking to a girl on the phone. Yeah. Your mother, can you expound on that for me? Because I thought that was very, um, the exact opposite of what you see people do. They fall away. They don't stand, They don't step up and your mother stepped up where you where you couldn't. Um, yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. Um, so this, this girl called, um, when I had moved back to New York, um, this girl called, um, and she was one of the women that was in my acting class. And, um, I think it was particularly shocking for me to be disbelieved by other women. Mm -hmm. Um, I expected maybe that guys would be like, well, I don't know, you know, but, um, the number of women who were like, that sounds really fuzzy Trish you know like you were in his apartment you were on a date um that really really shocked and hurt me and so I was on the phone with her and um and she said you know can you give me some more details about what happened and so I was going through the experience with her and she said you know that just that sounds fuzzy to me like I don't I don't know and I was like he pinned me you know and I was I just felt like I was on trial with my own friend, you know, yeah, I was yeah. like, 
That's because you were. Giving her <laughs> That's because you were. Then, That's why you felt like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then at some point I just shut down and I started retreating into myself um, because I, I couldn't, like, I just couldn't defend myself anymore. And uh, I got quiet and my mom was in the room and she had heard my end of the conversation. So um, she could surmise what was, what was going on. And she just took the phone from my hand and she said to the girl, um, your friend has just been raped. The only appropriate response in this situation is I am so sorry. Mm -hmm. You did not deserve that. I am so sorry. And she said, you may not call here again. Yeah, that pretty much says it. That's a that's a that's a door slam for yeah. your, for your ass right there. Don't call here no more. Yeah. And I'm assuming yeah. that you haven't spoken with that young lady again. I'm sorry, say that again. I said I'm assuming you haven't spoken with that young lady again. Well, that was the woman who private messaged me all these years later. Really? Um, yeah, that was the same. Really, the 19 year old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She's now married with four kids. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. So she, she came back to make amends. Well, good on her. Yeah. Good yeah. on her. Wow. Yeah. It came back full circle for you. Well, it looks well then right there, you did all through all of this, you did make a difference. And it, you did <laughs> to at least one. You did <laughs> to at least one. That's true. Or your angry mother did one of the two. <laughs> so we'll we'll call it a we'll call it a tag team. <laughs> but, yeah, sure. But a tag team yeah, works. My, yeah, yeah. My mom is a warrior, and she's the best person to have in your corner without doubt. Um, and she has helped me tremendously through. I mean, through so many traumas in my life, but specifically through this one, yeah. Right. Well, my dear, I don't know any place else to go beyond this. I feel like you, you, I, I, I appreciate you for uh, agreeing to do this and for agreeing to come yeah, on, sure. considering Thanks what's happening and the climate of what's going on. Uh, yeah. I will yeah. say, I will say to you that you, you are the warrior. Don't ever forget that. Because mm. you were the Thank one, you. you were the one who went through and it came out on the other side carrying a spear. You are the um, you are the warrior, thank you. and uh, I, I will never forget that about you, and I will never mm. I will never not say that about you. If somebody asks who Trish the warrior, yeah, I know I know that girl. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Randall. Hopefully, when I thank see you. you on the big screen, I want to thank you yeah. again for uh, for doing all this, and I hope I made it as gentle as I possibly could for you. Um, no, this was beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate. It. Thank you. I so appreciate much. being asked, and uh, yeah, this was just it was. It's always healing and helpful for me to um, be on the receiving end of, of compassion and a listening ear, so I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for having the compassion to share this speech with us. Do you have anything coming up, any acting stuff or in the city that people can go see you in? Yes, on Saturday at 8.30 p.m., I'm performing at the Bowery Poetry Club. Um, some of my own writing, so it be monologues, and that's at 8.30 at the on, Poetry Club. On Father's yeah. Day, so my New York people, go see Trish. Yeah. Is it Trish? Do you, what do you like? Do you like Trisha? Trish, Poetry, well, Alexandra? Uh, What's your, your... 
professionally, I go by Trisha Alexandro. Um, and Esquire. You've known me for a long time. You call me Trish or Trishy. Uh, Trisha Alexandro Esqu- Esquire. Yes, Esquire. <laughs> Esquire. So you guys go see Trisha Alexandro perform at the Bowery Poetry Club on Father's Day. Take your father. Or take yourself. Aww. <laughs> take your kids. Take your cat. Yeah. <laughs> take absolutely. your cat. Take everybody. Go see it. And I appreciate yeah, you so you. much again for doing this for you. I really, really do. Thanks so much Thanks for for onboarding everything. You. And I hope to talk to you again. I'm coming up. I'm coming up there shortly. So hopefully we can get together. I bring bring okay. uh, my wife will be with us. I think we're all going to come. Excellent. So we're going to get something to eat. Excellent. Good. I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come over there and be the twenty percent in your lobby. That's what I'm gonna do. Coming in with a radio <laughs> loud. <laughs> We're taking over. <laughs> Just start <laughs> shouting. <laughs> you take care of yourself, love, and you have a great day. Thanks, Randolph. Thanks so much, Thank dear. You. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, again, uh, again, all her, all, all praises to uh, Trisha Alexandro. Trisha Alexandro on Twitter, right? At, yeah. at Trisha Alexandro. So. I believe so. We should find out right Let's now. Let's find that out. We should we better before we sign <laughs> yeah, off. Before we, <laughs> and I have to re-record this on my couch. Uh, I know. I mean, well, I'm watching a basketball I'm a game or something. Uber, fucking Uber social, taking forever. I hope you guys enjoy. I'd really enjoyed enjoying. Let me see what this. Trisha Alexandra, oh, hold on. Your phone's probably faster than mine. We probably should do this. Right uh, we should. We could edit this <laughs> all out. We probably should have done this yeah. earlier. Trisha Alexandra, let me see. I'm just. Um, I'm just. I just got loading this. <laughs> uh, let me see if I can find her. Uh, why, don't no. some, why don't you be some silliness like Baby Girl Alexandra or something like that? It could be. <laughs> it could be not Ted. <laughs> not Ted or the Richie. O- the other Alexandra. <laughs> you know. Let me put an ad. Yeah, in I'm not getting anything for Trisha Alexandra. Are we sure she's on Twitter? I I would assume she is. Everybody else is, but I could see her not wanting to be on. She's that. on Facebook, so you can friend her there. Go to her Facebook page and and slide up in them DMs and private messenger. Yeah, do that because we I got nothing. Yeah, it, the search came up fruitless. Is she the last person in America who's not on Twitter? Probably should have asked her that. Yeah, probably. No, wait, <laughs> hold on. Uh, hold on. Let's see. Uh, there is a Trisha Alexandro on Twitter. Am I misspelling it? T R I C I A. Uh, well, I don't know if this is her. I don't. I don't think this is her. What's it look like? Uh, look, I'm looking at the profile picture here. Yeah, that's a, that's like a spam account. Oh my god, that's a, <laughs> that's a guy with samurai swords. <laughs> I'm not uh, sure. Following one. 94 people, zero followers, and right. the most recent tweet was in May that said, "At support, my account has been hacked. All of the tweets <laughs> are not from me." And there's a bunch of like stuff in other languages. <laughs> I wonder if she if she just did the name and has never posted. Well, the the at name is not Trisha Alexandro. But oh, okay. The, the Twitter the username is showing as Trisha, so it's probably not her. Yeah, I yeah unless I she tweets in Russian every now and then yeah. <laughs> about some kind of deal. Just click here to get free shit. You can you can get free shit or yeah. or a car. Probably not. <laughs> I don't think that's her. So find her on Facebook, Trisha Alexandra. She's yeah, on Facebook right. for sure. Just find her on Facebook and go see her at the Barrow at the Barrow Poetry Group Bowery Bowery Poetry Poetry Group on Sunday on Sunday Father's Day Father's Day in DC. That's the and 19th. DC. Damn, in New York, in New York Father's Day. The uh, Bowery Poetry Group. Yeah, doing some monologues, right? Yeah, doing some monologues that she has written. Yeah. So go and check that out. Go check that out. And thanks again for listening to us. And come on back tomorrow. We'll be here for you guys. I'm Randolph. I'm Andy. And we are done. Done.